What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week, we have a very special guest with us. She's a very educated and informed woman uh, with her own organization, which I'm super excited to talk about. So, Tori, do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Tori. I'm the founder of Medical Her Story and a recent graduate from the University of Cambridge, where I speak on, study, and live with chronic yeast infections. That's amazing. And do you want to give people like more information about what Medical Her Story is and what you do there and, you know, all of the great things that kind of go on over there? Sure. So Medical Her Story is an online platform where we talk about our bodies when they're messy, uncomfortable, and in pain. And it's sort of a space to be having conversations that often as young women and people across the gender spectrum, we're just discouraged from having publicly and sort of told to keep to ourselves. Um, so it's sort of this judgment-free space to talk about how uh, medical encounters have been stressful or embarrassing or difficult. Um, and it's sort of part of a larger project and wanting to talk about how science and medicine really aren't untouched by things like racism, sexism, ableism, but instead they can actually magnify such structures onto individual bodies. So through Medical Her Story, we let people share their experiences through their own voice and sort of give their own um, first-person account of what it's been like and sort of try to inspire change that way. That's amazing. And I think it's such an important platform you had and it's kind of embodied or engulfed kind of your life as you just spoke about um, kind of what you studied and even living with chronic yeast infections. And that's kind of our topic of discussion today. And I'm really excited to learn a lot more and kind of normalize the conversation surrounding chronic yeast infections because so many women get yeast infections all the time. And then, you know, adding the normalcy around that conversation is super important. So I'd love to just get as much information about it as possible. So maybe can you tell me exactly what qualifies as a chronic yeast infection, maybe versus a regular yeast infection? For sure. So three out of four people with a vagina will have a yeast infection at least once in their lifetime. Uh, so if you have a vagina or you know someone who does, you definitely want to listen to today's episode. Um, and basically what a yeast infection entails is your vulva and or vagina becoming red, inflamed, itchy, burning, any uncomfortable feeling you can often imagine. Um, and it's often characterized in popular culture as having a discharge that resembles cottage cheese, um, which I find is so unflattering for one thing, but often also just a barrier. Who wants to come forward and be like, this is happening to me if all people know about it is that your discharge looks like cheese. So <laughs> that's one thing about it. Um, but it is true that you can have a sort of thicker white discharge that would say would suggest that it's a yeast infection versus another type of infection. Um, and they're just caused by a yeast overgrowth. So we have yeast and bacteria in the vaginal microbiome. And if one overtakes the other, that can lead to, lead to different sorts of infections. So what classifies a chronic one versus an acute episode is an acute episode is what three out of four women get. It's usually easily treated with an antifungal medication. Um, such as canestin or monostat, you can get it in a suppository form, a pill form, a cream form, through your doctor or at a pharmacy. But the problem with chronic infections is that they don't go away or they keep coming back. So this ranges in terms of what symptoms women get and how often, but it can be 
once a month, once every two weeks, once every week. Um, and there's not really like a, a solid long-term cure. Um, so it's very frustrating and definitely something that is difficult to live with and that we definitely don't talk about enough. No, for sure. I honestly just learned within like the last year or so that, you know, yeast infections aren't just acute. It's something that could become or can just be chronic. Um, and I don't think there's enough education about it at all because you don't even have to be sexually active to get a yeast infection. And it's like, imagine, you know, being 16 and not being sexually active. And then all of a sudden your discharge is changing and you're freaking out because you have no idea how this happened, why it happens. And it's literally just a change in essentially pH, right? There's different debates around the actual mechanism that'll cause it. Um, but what we know is that it's a change in, um, so everyone is yeast in their body. That's normal. Mm -hmm. But if it overgrows, whether that's from taking, um, antibiotics could trigger that, um, or different like lifestyle habits or sometimes we don't know. Um, but it, there is, some debate around pH um, in terms of how you could treat it with pH balancing or if the pH is off, um, that can throw it off too. Good to know. So you spoke about it um, briefly on how kind of you suffer with this infection um, chronically. So how has that affected you even just like over time from like when you figured out you had something that was chronic and maybe the process about figuring out if it was chronic yeast or if it was something else or was there any confusion even along those lines? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's one barrier for people when they do get a yeast infection is sort of the fear and stigma around what if this is um, an STI. And I think there is some confusion with that in terms of people not knowing the difference. Um, like you said, you don't have to be sexually active to get one. Um, they can happen to children. They can happen to anybody. Um, so there is that. But um, yeah, definitely my experience was interesting to say the least. Um, so my first yeast infection was actually not a chronic, was not when the chronic yeast infection started. So I've had both experiences, so I can speak to both. Um, but it would have been when I was about 17 um, and just woke up one morning, super itchy, feeling awful, had no idea what was wrong, took a bath, it, got, it was worse. Talked to my mom, she said, you probably have a yeast infection. We went to the pharmacy got a pill. I took it within two days. I was all better. And I was like, Oh, that was so cool. Like something was wrong with my body. I could go to the pharmacy. I could treat it. Like I didn't have to go see a doctor. So that was great. Um, but then when they started to be more recurrent, so that would have been about a year later when I was 18, had start, just started my undergrad, entered a new relationship and started noticing that I was getting them often about once a month and then every two weeks. And I decided I should go seek medical care. Um, so I went to go do that. And I do encourage people to do so because while I do think self-diagnosis is empowering and a great tool to just tell women that they do know their bodies and they are able to treat them, you should just make sure that what you are treating is yeast um, as opposed to bacterial vaginosis or possibly an STI. Um, so my experience with diagnosis was awful, but it, it didn't have to be. And I think that's sort of like a double-edged sword is that I can recognize that my own experience was very difficult, um, but that I think there is room for people to not have awful experiences. Um, so when I went into the doctor, it was just sort of very stigmatizing. Um, they'd asked me how many sexual partners I'd had. I answered um, 
the woman said that I was high, I was at high risk. So they were going to have to do all this testing, which I felt was just a very sort of aggressive and like demeaning way to be talking to me. That's and horrible. Then, exactly. And then it gets worse because then the same woman did this test, um, which is just a swab. And then it was so painful because she cut my cervix. And while she was doing it, I've never felt such pain in my life that I was like, oh my God, oh my God, stop, stop, stop. And then she didn't. And then I was like crying and then she stopped and then she's like, oh, like your cervix is cut. And I was like, because you just cut it, like what the fuck? But then I found out you're, you can self-swab. Yeah. You have every right and every possibility to self-swab where you insert what looks like a, a Q-tip about an inch or two into your vagina, swirl it a little, and you're done. And no pain, you were in full control. And when I found that out, I was sort of, like I said, this double-edged sword, like, wow, I can take care of my own body. I can test myself. That's awesome. And then why did I have to go through this pain? And just, it was, yeah, that was rough. And then we got those test results back and they were positive for yeast. But then the doctor explained that everybody has yeast in their body. So I was like, why did we test me? And then they decided to monitor me for a while. I came back, got more tests done. They lost those tests. Um, they put me on Christ. antifungals oh for, for uh, they gave me like, so different regimens. And it just felt like they were guessing. It was like, take one every three days, take it straight for 14 days, take it once a month for mm, the rest of your life. And when I was going through this, the doctors just kept saying, some people get colds some people get chronic yeast infections as a way to say that some people are more predisposed to one thing than another. But as a young woman who is in pain, that's the last thing you want to hear is your chronic infection being compared to as a trivial cold. That was really hard. And then also hearing just advice like, oh, wear only white underwear. Um, maybe take some time off school. My favorite, stop having sex and just try erotic massage. So no. this is not, no I'm not even kidding. A I'm medical professional said that. Three, three different. I went to a general practitioner, two nurses at a CLSC, a gynecologist and multiple pharmacists. And they all just kept repeating stuff that was so dismissive of like, oh, um, do you wipe front to back? Do you shower? Do you change out of your wet clothes? Can you and imagine, you know like, what I'm thinking about? <laughs> imagine a man sitting in your chair and a doctor straight up looking at a dude and being like, change your underwear. Stop yeah. having sex. Like, can you imagine how a bro would respond to that? <laughs> that, oh my God. Okay. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the things I actually looked at on my dissertation, which is about chronic yeast infections, was sort of the gender dynamic of yeast and how we see vaginas as just naturally prone to infection, you know? They're mysterious, they're dark, they're moist, the perfect breeding ground for fungus. And we don't realize that when we talk about body parts this way, we're also just normalizing women's pain and discomfort. So that when they come in and have a yeast infection um, that's chronic or bacterial vaginosis um, or any sort of other infection, that we just dismiss it as, oh, it's normal, it happens to people, it's like not going to kill you, don't worry about it. And we don't realize that what we're doing is actually just reinscribing these gender stereotypes of like, oh, people who have penises, like they don't have to deal with that because a penis is just simple. It's there, you know, it takes care of itself. 
But women, on the other hand, oh, we, we can't even research that because it's just so complicated. It's, it's ridiculous. And even if you look at the history of like, just like the study of anatomy in general, like there's extensive research on the penis, extensive. Like even if you ask like doctors, like in med school, they'll talk about like, how many diaphra- diagrams they saw of penises. And then they're like, and there was like a little section at the bottom of like the page on the left that described a vagina. And then like, that was it. And it's just like, we're mm. still like using studies and research of like from cadavers, like from like the early 1900s, like that's still what we know today. And it's just like science has advanced so much, but there's just no funding or research on the woman's body so it's just like it just perpetuates this whole cycle of just dismissing this like normalcy because like I'm sure if we invested enough money in like you know anatomical research and vaginas and vulvas we would find a lot of things that we really have no idea about right now we wouldn't have chronic yeast infections like period mm-hmm. like no I totally agree with that and that was something that in interviewing other women with chronic yeast infections was repeated that if I was a man, we'd have a cure by now. And one of the things that's so interesting is while we don't fully understand the pathological mechanisms of yeast infections, there are multiple studies suggesting that male partners can play a role in transmission, and also that male partners can be asymptomatic, have a yeast infection of the prostate, and be transmitting it through semen, which might explain why for some women, not all women, um, their chronic yeast infections are triggered by sexual activity and that they can identify that pattern. For other women like myself, it's related to hormones, I believe, because every single month at the same week of my cycle, I have a yeast infection. And it's been wow. that way, and I've, I've spoken to doctors about this, and it's always just sort of dismissed, which I find ironic, especially after being someone who has studied this extensively for years now, um, in the way that doctors who maybe had one hour in med school on a yeast infection, if so. Um, I, like, I mean, it's something that's not talked about. We spend so much time talking about STIs in school. And then yeast infections, which three out of four people with a vagina will get, aren't prioritized on that. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, it's so important, especially because of, I think, the fear-mongering often around your body and how things can go wrong. And if it does, it's your fault and you're dirty and you did something and you need to fix it. And then it can just be, it's just yeast. And the problem is exacerbated when you then go to a physician who asks you these questions that put the blame back onto you as the individual of, oh, well, you must be doing something wrong instead of there's something wrong with my body. I don't know how to fix it. The doctors don't know how to fix it. And then just sort of adds to, to this further cycle. And I've been doing a few interviews with OBGYNs, uh, mm. female OBGYNs, and they're really a lot of, you know, doctors that are kind of on have the same idea of you know diagnosis and ownership over your body and having agency and understanding that like maybe the doctors might not see a problem but you know your body better than anyone else does so you have the right to keep advocating for yourself there's a huge kind of shift in the movement of even just educating women on how to communicate with doctors and how to not like take a stand down just because they have that you know, degree, and they have that doctorate, and they have all of these understandings, and not that they're not, not that they don't know what they're doing, but you know your body better than anyone else does, so it's about advocating for that, and it's, it's such a hard thing, it's such a mountain to kind of climb over, but a lot of OBGYNs, especially because there's been a huge, 
well, it's been happening for a long period of time, but a lot of black women have been dying during childbirth. And it's because, well, you know, 90% of it is, you know, the doctors not advocating for them and listening to them when they're stating things. But now we're trying to teach women how to really advocate for themselves and really kind of stand up to doctors. And, you know, your doctor isn't providing the services or inquiring or listening to what you're advocating for, then you need to go find another one. As much as things of sexism influence medical encounters, regardless of the gender of your practitioner, racism does as much, just as much, especially I think when we talk about things that are related to our vaginas and sex. Um, we know that women of color, black, indigenous women, and trans women are often hypersexualized, which is just another barrier for when you're talking about your body that a comment made to me as a white cis woman about, oh, that's a lot of partners hurts, but it doesn't hurt on the same historical level or have the same consequences for my health and how it's being treated as racialized women. But uh, yeah, so then I think uh, I was definitely privileged in some ways in terms of having access to medical care that was covered um, by the government, having access to um, being able to go to different practitioners, see a specialist and that. But um, honestly, it, it didn't help that much. And I'll go over my process of diagnosis and just want to stress um, that in doing my own research and interviews with women that a lot of people have had similar experiences. Um, but yeah, so my diagnosis... I, I, there was never a point where a doctor said to me, you have chronic yeast infections. This is what it is. This is what we're going to do for it. My diagnosis was essentially some people get colds, some people get chronic yeast infections. And that, you know, there was this, they described it as a war going on in my body, in my vulva and vagina between the bacteria and the fungus. And they were fighting. And that one was like winning right now and that we had to tackle it and fight it back. And, and to me, that was just, it was one patronizing but for another it just was so unhelpful and it would have been much more helpful to have someone give me a diagnosis tell me what that entailed and then how we we're going to treat it but instead I was sort of dismissed as yes there is yeast there uh, we did other tests we were sure like that's what it is I had them test for like what strain it is because in my own research it was like um, certain antifungal medications work better on certain strains of yeast um, than others but then they did that test and then that's the one they lost and then they said do you want to come back in and then I said no um, because it was just exhausting I kept going to these doctors and being so distressed we know from research that chronic yeast infections have a major toll on women's mental health and it's just going to a doctor being in distress taking your clothes off <laughs> saying this is what's going on I'm in so much pain and them just sort of not caring almost I mean I don't want to say how they how they actually felt, but just in the way that they came across of like, um, oh, is this affecting your life in any way? Like, obviously. And it was just so dismissive. And then to have to rehash, like, yes, like I, I can barely concentrate in school. I can barely sleep at night. Like I'm always in pain. Like sex hurts so much. And then just hearing like, oh, well then maybe don't have sex. Maybe take some time off school instead of actually tackling the root issue. So then I think after about two years of seeing doctors as often as I could, I just gave up and I just sort of decided to do my own research, take care of my body, do trial and error. Um, and that's the thing I think a lot of doctors caution against self-diagnosis and self-treatment. 
but then if there aren't answers available to you, and there's also not that transparency that there aren't answers. Um, it was sort of like, oh, you must be doing something wrong. We know about it. But when you do the research, it's, there's not a consensus. The, the clinical experts will tell you that. Um, so then, yeah, I just sort of went on to try to take care of myself. I did ask for a referral to an infectious disease specialist. I thought this would be my big break. So I asked for one from a GP and then from a gynecologist just because in like the midst of everything, I had like decided to not go and whatever. So I finally got two referrals, was all set. I get on my laptop, I type in this doctor, I'm so ready to see I'm cured, 100% recommend, and I see pages and pages of sexual assault allegations against this physician. And women warning, do not go at night, do not go alone, and my heart just broke. And it was like I was being asked to choose between potentially finding a cure for this year-long infection or subject myself to sexual assault potentially and that was like the breaking point for me that I just decided I was not going to bring this up with a doctor again I was not going to and undress in front of a doctor again and I was just sort of going to avoid the whole situation because it had just taken such a, an emotional toll up until that point and I was really just um, done and over it. and for the next year I didn't talk about it with anybody I didn't see any doctors I didn't talk about it with my friends and just sort of lived with it it's like Going to a gynecologist is like one of the most vulnerable, you know, experiences that you can possibly have because there's an issue and you're also showing kind of your most vulnerable parts as well. So it's like, I can't imagine how like patronizing and exhausting that must have been. And also just like the rehashing of like how this is affecting your life. It's just like, I can't imagine like, the mental health toll that took on you because I, mm-hmm. I'm sure that it, it did in one way or another. So when you kind of concluded this whole, I don't even know what to call that, just Chapter. debacle <laughs> of shit, honestly, how, how did you kind of, so you, you said you did a little bit of like trial and error. Did you, did you find that some things worked better for you than others? Are you still living like that now? Um, mm-hmm. How's that been kind of post yeah. medical experience? So, I mean, to speak to the the severity of this all, well, at first I was sort of rolling my eyes at all the advice of wear white underwear and stop eating meat and only eat fruits and or no, don't eat fruits and all this. I tried everything. I bought a bunch of white underwear. <laughs> I took every uh, different drug that was available, every cream, everything on the market. Um, for me, there's a cream called Lotroderm. You can get it. I highly recommend it. A lot of women who have chronic yeast infections are on it. It's like a steroid antifungal for when you have flare-ups on the vulva. Don't put it inside of you. Um, so over-the-counter meds like Diflucan, which is sold under like Canestin, those can work sometimes. I try to not take those just because I've had so much of it in my body. And then honestly, um, taking some supplements, probiotics, just trying to balance things out. Do I know if that works? No, I'm not a doctor. Um, but it's sort of been something that I just find helps, um, taking multivitamin, stuff like that. But honestly, like, it's just also been sort of learning to live with it and then 
it's sort of a weird process. You sort of come to cohabitate with this infection almost when coming up on five years I've been living with it. And you just sort of have to reframe your thinking because you spend so much time trying to eradicate it. And when it just fails and fails and fails and you try to share what you're feeling with a doctor or with your partner, but it's just limited by those larger discourses that normalize women and yeast and infection, that you sort of have to just create a new relationship with your body and just being very attuned to it and listening to it. Um, but it's still hard. Like last week I had a call with my doctor just to renew my prescriptions. And I was like so distressed all morning just because it was like the marker of like five years of renewing fucking yeast infection medication. And just like, I just was like, I want to get on this phone. I want to say renew my medication and just like hung up. Like, I don't want to talk to you about this. I don't want to go over. Yes, it's still happening. Yes, it's still distressing. Like, and then they, they're at the point too where they don't even prescribe anything anymore or like anything new or like recommend anything because they're just like, that happens. Like some people get, some people get chronic yeast infections. And we do, like it's five to 10% of women who get chronic yeast infections, I should specify. So there is a substantial number of it. Um, but then it's just not, not really treated with any like urgency. It's just sort of seen as, yeah, that sucks, but you got to live with it. Do we know if there's any like long-term effects from living with something like this or do we not have enough research? Yeah. So that's a big fear. Definitely. Um, so we know that definitely with some other infections that go untreated, such as sexually transmitted infections, those could lead to infertility or other complications with chronic yeast infections. There's really not that much research on it. Um, like it feels like this isn't normal. This isn't right. I shouldn't be infected this long. And there is that worry about, is this going to cause permanent damage? Um, but what's interesting is that some physicians <laughs> argue that with chronic yeast infections, um, and some of the women I interviewed, this was their experience, that the doctor said, you no longer have chronic yeast infections. Those ended, but your body is like damaged in response to it. So you're still getting symptoms because your normal had been distorted. Which to me just makes things so much more complicated because what, what does that mean? What was the treatment then? If my body has been so damaged and traumatized that now it's just irritated forever. And that, so there's really not, there's just no clarity when it comes to this. I mean, luckily for some women, prolonged antifungal treatments and probiotic therapies can get it manageable and under control. Um, for other women like myself, that just was not the case. Um, but then there's all these added questions there of what's actually going on with my body if a yeast infection is no longer present. Um, so that is an avenue I'm interested in exploring to see if that is a possible explanation for what's going on, but I don't really know. And yeah, they don't really have, they don't, claim that there's any long-term risks besides being on prolonged antifungal treatments, not great for your liver. Um, but I mean, it just emotional wise, relationship wise, definitely not something I'd ever recommend. <laughs> no, for sure. And cause you brought it up briefly um, at the beginning of the podcast with, you know, your organization of medical her story and also your dissertation that you just wrote. Um, was your personal experience kind of the main factor as to why you decided to 
kind of pursue both these avenues? And is it something that you, is this going to be like your lifelong search? Yeah, honestly. Yeah. So medical her story a hundred percent was launched from me being so frustrated with traditional medicine and feeling so alone and isolated and that being blamed for this and being stigmatized for this, that I was just over it. And I realized that this was not my fault and I needed a space to talk about it. And I felt that other women might potentially need a space for this. At the time, I had no idea that other people had chronic yeast infections, let alone that it was five to 10%. So I wrote my story and I actually published it in the McGill Daily, so our school newspaper. And that sort of got a bit of attention, obviously, somebody talking about their vagina on the front page of the newspaper their names on it you know that that's Um, so great (laughs) and it was honestly like I just I just wrote it I wrote in one sitting and it was all my frustration and anger what I'd been through um and we published that and then I was a bit worried like what if people just say like ew gross like who's that she's weird whatever but instead I had so many other women and femmes just saying oh my gosh, this also happened to me. I've been living with chronic yeast infections. And then that's what's really inspired Medical Her Story as a platform for sort of being an alternative to traditional medicine, being a space to just talk about it, which I think on its own is so, so healing. And then also just a place to be able to have your voice heard and then also see your own experience represented. Because for the women I interviewed, um, which was six McGill students, they had all said, I had no idea that chronic yeast infections were a thing until I read your piece. And that's crazy to me that my own writing and my own experience was for many women, their first introduction to this topic, even when they had been living with it, that they also thought they'd been alone. So that's definitely where the activist side comes in. And then within my academics, definitely, I'm such a big proponent in that you are the expert of your own lived experience. And it's been really fulfilling to be able to be an academic expert too and writing my master's on this and getting um, my degree and yeah so that's been really fulfilling too and I do think that it's very important chronic yeast infections are such an understudied topic but they're just also one example of this larger structure of how women and female presenting people's pain and discomfort is often dismissed and normalized um, and that vaginas are just often stigmatized as well. I love that. Yeah. That's so inspirational. It's so cool. And it's- I was thinking about that the other day too, though. Um, my sister asked me when I was preparing for the podcast um, and she said, oh, like it's really become your life. And I was like, yeah, but I would trade it. Like, I honestly think I would trade all the like success and everything that it's brought to not have chronic yeast infections. And that's yeah, like, right. that's like hard to wrestle with because I think in being able to talk about it publicly, I've gotten very good at it. But whenever I sit down with a doctor, like I'm always in tears. Like it's always like distressing and heavy and difficult. And I am lucky that things have gotten better in like the past two years compared to the first two years of living with this. But um, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't wish it on anybody. But I mean, we also can't change the, the hand we're dealt. So I'm also very happy to be the face, let's say, of chronic yeast infections, and to sort of just be that role model for other people and hopefully find some concrete changes or resources or in the very least just be able to show people that they're not alone and that their experience also isn't unique. Um, And I think that in itself is empowering. Yeah, I think what you're doing is amazing. And 
I really think that it takes a very unique person and special person to be able to not only live with something like this, but also do good with what they kind of have. Cause I think it's very easy to just, you know, sit and sulk and cry and just kind of not and feel like helpless essentially. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you're a great example for people, not even just dealing with chronic yeast infections, but any chronic condition, you know, within the vagina, we're not really taught much about it. So like even when I got my first UTI or, you know, yeast infection, I I'm, like I don't have chronic infections, but even just that diagnosis itself is just like super stressful and you have no idea what's going on. So I love medical her story and I definitely I definitely am going to submit something. I wanted to ask you if you would give I like to ask kind of the guests if they would give, you know, young women advice or maybe like, mm -hmm. you know, 18 year old self, like what advice would you give to a young woman that has vaginal discomfort? Um, whether it's like chronic yeast infections, chronic UTIs, or just like going through some type of condition that they might not really know much about. What would you tell her? Yeah, I'd say one, it sucks. <laughs> I think that honestly is honestly has so much power in it to just acknowledge somebody's pain and suffering but that also you're not alone and that it's okay to talk about and people will not say you're gross and if they do they're stupid but that honestly there is so much power in taking ownership on your body and speaking on it and feeling that and that doesn't necessarily always mean publishing something on the front page of a school newspaper and it doesn't always mean that you have to put your name on something that you're going to submit to Medical Her Story by any means. It just means feeling empowered and being able to share your story and that knowing that that's a way to destigmatize de this. I know that as young women, the vagina is often already so stigmatized, even when it's perfectly healthy, that we're told it's supposed to be fresh and clean and there's a lot of anxiety around that. And then therefore, when you have any sort of vaginal discomfort. There's all this fear and stigma that rushes forward of, am I dirty? Am I not clean? What will people think of me? Am I not desirable? And I just want to tell people, like, it's not your fault. It'll be okay. And that, well, I do encourage people to seek out medical care, and I would never discourage anyone from doing that. I think it's equally important to have just networks of support, whether that's Ladies Let's Talk About Sex or Medical Her Story, to know that you are supported and encouraged and cared for um, and just using those channels. And I'm really proud to be a part of, of one of those spaces. I love that. And I even think just, I remember the first time I had a conversation with my girlfriends about UTIs, I was stunned. I was stunned at how many of us had had them. Or I even remember being in a group of girls complaining about my UTI. And when my roommates was like, I have one right now too. And I was just like, how did, how did we go like three years without having these conversations? And it's just like, there's so much that we don't even recognize, like inhibit us from talking about these things. So I really, I really appreciate that advice. And I think it's, it's, it's super important to, to keep talking about. And um, I really appreciate your openness too, because it, it takes a lot of courage to have these conversations and um kind of do what you do and and just like being a badass about it too I think it's so cool it's so sick and we don't tell each other enough because it's such an interesting topic and there's already so many things that kind of we associate these conversations with but it's just badass like I just like to leave it at badass um definitely 
<laughs> but I just wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast this week. I really appreciated this. And I think it's really going to kind of destigmatize the conversations around chronic yeast infections or any type of like vaginal conditions. So I, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. Do you want to like tell people where they can find you, what your websites are, your Instagram, whatever you want to promote, sure. you can go right ahead. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it and giving this space to other badass women who want to come forward, whether that's being a guest on the podcast or if you want to submit to Medical Her Story, our website is medicalherstory.com and we're at Medical Her Story on every social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you name it. Um, and you can submit through any of those means or get in touch, whether you want to share your story privately or publicly. Um, we'd love to hear from you. That's amazing. Okay, everyone go check out Medical Her Story because there's a bunch of really, really sweet stories and and just there, there's a lot of relatability on that site. So if you're ever feeling like alone or lost, I feel like that's the best place to go. But I just wanted to thank you again, Tori, for coming on the podcast. Um, and we'll hear from you soon. I want to thank Tori again for sharing her story and spreading light on a topic that really isn't discussed very often. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast for more episodes every single Monday. Make sure to write a review and let us know how you feel on Instagram at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. Thanks for listening. <laughs>